Welcome to the Canteen Podcast, a show for anyone who has feelings about food. Join host Ali Houston as guests open up about their relationship with food and their thoughts on nutrition. Nourish yourself with the Canteen Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Canteen Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Houston. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks, and enjoy the show. All right, and we are recording, and I'm lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Puna Malik, who's a university medtech academic advisor, life sciences and health sector expertise consultant, economic development business mentor and social entrepreneur based in Scotland. Um, For her contributions to the field of biology, she was awarded a fellowship of the Royal Society of Biology UK in 2017 and has published widely on infectious diseases, research on viruses and impact on health. So perfect person to talk about uh, the the current worrying situation on coronavirus. So thanks very much for joining me today. Uh, it's a pleasure here. Pleasure. Thank you for the invite. And uh, I'm looking forward to our discussion and contributing. So can you talk us through your understanding and thoughts on coronavirus since the first time you heard about it in China until now? Okay, thank you, Ali. So coming from my point of view, basically my uh, academic background is as a virologist uh, working over sort of 25 years in the field of infectious diseases. I work both on the DNA viruses and RNA viruses and how viruses impact uh, host um, um, cell biology and also uh, in terms of uh, longer term impact on the how various uh, strategies have been uh, appointed. So coming to your question, how uh, the coronaviruses, so we all first uh, started hearing about its origin in China, which is uh, the Wuhan uh, province and district where uh, we sort of initially, it was uh, information coming out because the China uh, cases started emerging the uh, good doctor who originally noted it that uh, because this is the time when a lot of flu-like symptoms and influenza-like uh, illnesses anyway which all affect respiratory symptoms and respiratory tract uh, leading to uh, fever or the comfort were uh, already existing but he noted that this uh, virus was behaving differently in hosts and uh, is leading to symptoms like uh, which now have become worldwide very well known that uh, fever uh, leading to uh, dry cough um, and uh, respiratory distress and in extreme cases uh, leading to breathlessness and hence the need for the ventilator which is what we are hearing now and uh, not all patients behave like that but he noted it and there was also a demographic and age related response to that in some cases like uh, children tend to do better healthy population do better if but people have underlying health conditions uh, which here in uk you would say 
in age-wise, anybody over 65 who was on a flu vaccine would be the candidate that would be vulnerable to it, or anybody who is what we call it in body's natural defense system, the immune system, which will uh, protect the hum uh, human body against any foreign uh, body invading. If they were their immunity or defense system of bodies was down for any reason, whether you've been through a recent operation or in your immunosuppressant drug or taking other underlying conditions like diabetes, blood pressure, hypertension, then they uh, tend to behave very differently and respond to the virus, and they were in the high risk group and suffering. Initially, his obviously situation, his uh, no notifications and advice was on third very promptly, and as a result, I think it spread uh, much uh, further than it could have been if uh, initial responses were taken um, that seriously. Unfortunately, this I'm very. Uh, able doctor who identified these things and made the case for us had succumbed to coronavirus himself and as we know it died and i'm not sure if we will come into the conversation about how it spread but as now we know that it somehow the virus has uh, origin possibly in the bats that's where it's found the carrier route is still not very much known and there are recent publications which have uh, identified that fungal, uh, fungal, they are the natural reservoir uh, of it, which may have come in contact with humans because there is an illicit trade of those animals involved worldwide. So possible route uh, that from uh, bat they went to fungal and then they came into humans how, and that is um, that poses another question and from a policy point of view in terms of how we get uh, and even from business economic terms what should we consider the policy implications of wet um, markets where the live animals are sent and how much exposure people should have to unusual because these are anteater like animals which are normally uh, not there but because of the illicit trade um, in some cases and black market how they might humans might have come in contact and now recent um, two recent papers have appeared which have um, based the genomic sequence identification so i think once that is there from china then it has uh, because the world has become so small now uh, as a result of uh, uh, business dealings supply chain transactions human movement flights it is becoming day by day a smaller world and before we knew it it was uh, spreading from asia to other parts then we it's europe and we now know of multiple our own neighboring countries which have become epicenter and then usa and uk uh, came into it and now before we know it 212 countries worldwide uh, have succumbed to it and we have more than 1.4 million worldwide cases positive for it leading to over 74,304 deaths as of today i think so yeah yeah, it's obviously a very serious situation. Um, I mean, from a virology point of view, what are the initial steps of the infection um, together with how the virus delays the immune response? So in other words, what makes this different to previous uh, SARS-type illnesses? So in terms of, uh, as we know, the most... Um, uh, people have uh, DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, as their genetic system. 
the viruses are unique in them and that is because they can utilize both the DNA which is the deoxyribonucleic acid and RNA as well as which is the ribonucleic acid as their genetic material and the coronavirus COVID-19 which is the common name as we are, uh, we, are we know it as uh, is actually a class of viruses which is an RNA virus and it's uh, in major till uh, the COVID-19 was the common name for it because it appeared coronavirus-like uh, virus in uh, 2019. But in uh, February, in March, then International Committee of Taxonomy of Viruses, which is the uh, grouping of expert virologists uh, worldwide over and groups that identify and name the viruses have now named as at SARS-CoV-2, which is a severe acute respiratory virus. And uh, this is coronavirus 2. The original corona SARS-CoV-1 was identified basically as in, with an outbreak in 2003 when it happened in Singapore and then spread to most um, in some parts of the southern Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asia. Uh, the, it is similar to corona existing uh, severe acute respiratory virus, which is SARS virus, and, um, but also different different in terms that it is a RNA virus, so its mutation rate is faster, but it's different in that that it is not normally found in humans. It is a virus that have jumped from animals to humans. It has got much more similarity to which what we discussed just now with bats, and the uh, virus that is found in bat and the there have been a genomic uh, mutation, uh, which is the changes in the nucleic acid, which is RNA in this case happens. And how viruses are very clever structures because they are more, they are like crystals, they are dead structures in reality. And they become live only when they come in contact with a live body. So that live body could be bacteria, could be could be humans, could be animals. So they can live and survive and grow only when they come into a growing cell, which could be any host. So they need that before that they can uh, survive in the on the surfaces or in environment as uh, part of a crystal, to, depending on how long is uh, depending on each virus's capability. So in this case, uh, it has similarity to the human origin, and it is, this process is called zoonosis or uh, jumping species because it has crossed that species barrier from a bat or a pangolin, as in this case, to humans. And uh, what happens in these? Uh, these are they are not unusual. We already have influenza, flu-like um, illnesses in the country. And to put things in perspective, I would say we have accepted almost 17,000 deaths per year, which happens with influenza and flu every year in the UK. That's the normal uh, death rate with that. It happens and it affects different uh, kind of thing. In this case, it probably became uh, a very uh, serious threat uh, because the various reasons. First, our bodies had never seen it. So there is this, uh, uh, when, uh, the, when we were talking earlier about the body's defense system, which is the immune system, once our body sees a foreign object, it recognizes and it has been exposed to it. It sees means the cells have seen it and they react to it in a way that the body produces uh, things called molecules called antibodies, which give us protect, uh, protection in certain cases. And those uh, against which it has been protected 
then uh, the next time when the virus or the foreign body enters the cell or the body, they can uh, react to it, bind it, and in some cases, neutralize it, clear it, or kill it. And that is when human body recovers from that, um, I, some cases, mild infection, in some cases, no, they clear it even before it takes over the body. Because in case of COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, our bodies, human bodies, had never seen this. Hence, there was a severe response and mild infection and mild symptoms in case of healthy adults and children mostly. And in immunocompromised or vulnerable high-risk, those symptoms and infection uh, uh, characteristics become quite severe. And the virus enters through the nose because uh, it has on its surface certain molecules that binds, which are the proteins that as the antigen, which is the creates response in the body, they are found in our uh, nose cells and respiratory tract. So from nose, uh, if a virus particle is found and comes in contact with the body, it enters through the body surfaces and it goes through the nose into the upper respiratory tract. And then it, we don't know much of its biology. So it, the, it, the load, the studies that are coming out, they show that it's found in upper respiratory tract, but it can grow in the lungs and as a result if this is uh, much more detail come out because uh, hence we are saying that it is transmitted through uh, the air droplets when people cough or sneeze they are bigger uh, droplets which have uh, sort of water droplets and it's not an aerosol bone uh, contaminant uh, the infection otherwise it would be there throughout it's only these uh, droplets which comes through sneezing or coughing that are produced through the body and have a certain distance that they can travel before the droplets dry out and what uh, the virus can still stick on the surfaces for certain hours, and that's exactly not clear how many, but it's still, which is why it's the advice is to clean your hands as possible, to touch uh, things capable. So in that case, it the body's immune response, but not uh, that well known and are not that well prepared for it. But there is hope. Uh, there is very recent paper uh, this week that has come out, which has uh, shown by a group to say that then, uh, the plasma from the infected individuals, when it was used on certain infected individuals, it is do it is working. It is providing them some. So there is a hope that there is the virus is producing antibodies which can work against the virus. Which means these are the class of antibodies known as neutralizing antibodies, which have the capability to work against the virus and make it neutral. Okay, and am I right in thinking that? Um... COVID-19 is different from the initial SARS outbreak in that it, you can be infectious before you have symptoms, whereas with SARS, you were only really infectious after you, you know, got quite ill with it. So uh, that is a feel, that is a question. It's a valid question and an interesting one because even virologists are, or uh, clinicians are also uh, at the moment uh, trying to understand its behavior and pattern. As I said, it's a new virus. Initially, the advice of uh, uh, was that uh, if you come in contact with somebody in, who is showing signs, as we say, clinical signs of disease, which in this case is fever, dry cough, or uh, as upper respiratory uh, breathlessness, and if our uh, headache in certain cases, loss of smell. But if that uh, 
happens, then you definitely have it and you were uh, told to stay away. But then that uh, didn't uh, go well with the data wherein somebody who hadn't come in contact with some people who were showing symptoms and they infected people, cases started appearing in those um, places and it was spreading. So that's when the social distancing and stay at home advice was issued based on that data. So in this virus case, uh, the pattern was showing that uh, in some cases, even before you start to show symptoms of uh, either fever, which is the first symptom, mostly high fever or above uh, 38, uh, 37.8 or um, coughing which happens dry cough later or sleep then uh, even before that uh, if somebody had it you wouldn't know they have it and you were shedding it that was based on the clinical uh, understanding of how the case was spreading now the genetic um, uh, studies and the clinical load have been uh, tested and some um, studies that have come out have shown that the viral load, which means that the virus that is once it is comes in contact with body, it takes over the cell, um, human or host cell, it produces its multiple copies as a result of a process called replication when the numbers grow and then it kills the cell and moves on to infect the new cell by binding to a receptor. In this case, and that process, that num amount of that infectious virus somebody can have in their body is called viral load. And what the studies are showing that in cases of people who are showing symptoms with clinical symptoms and some people who actually have no symptoms yet, but if you take their upper respiratory take, um, uh, load, uh, those who are infected, they seem to be quite similar. So in that case, that proves that actually virus is uh, present in their upper respiratory tract, even though they haven't been showing clinical signs of being uh, symptomatic or an infected and if they cough or, or, or sneeze they can also release these viruses so as a result yes in this case it seems to be that even when you are asymptomatic you can cause hence uh, there is the question of uh, distancing and staying away uh, from the people and talking about social distancing um, which strategy worldwide currently looks like the best to you and when will we know which strategy was the best when we're looking back so this is uh, again this is a very interesting question which i suppose all uh, the governments and the health bodies uh, worldwide over are um, faced with and uh, it is a very challenging questions the Simple answer is that there is no one strategy that is good for everybody and there is no one strategy that will work across all regions and all people. And the reason I'm saying that is because um, the, the virus that uh, behaves or moves in different parts, we don't know fully about it if it's all the same virus or what are the difference because uh, like anything else, uh, when it jumped from animals to humans, it adapted. Similarly, when it adapts, when it reaches human body, the human body interacts with it and it's still in response to how it is taking over that, it can mutate. RNA virus mutate very quickly. So in some cases, uh, 
they can become more infectious and ferocious in some cases they can become a milder form so uh, unless we there have been some earlier studies done but we don't know in we don't know which particular strains and how much variation in the viral population and strains is happening across the world the other opposite side of that is also that human bodies also react very differently each one react differently we know very uh, bigger data points like children react uh, well to it in the sense they we haven't seen that many cases of death in children we know many children are not that many children are not uh, hospitalized and even like the best cases that 95% people if they get infected recover from it and uh, in terms of 5% uh, that need hospitalization uh, from there one to two percent two percent maximum are the people who are dying from it and that particular group tends to be mostly those uh, people who are in the high risk group who are over 70 who are on some kind of other medication or what we call it multimorbidity or comorbidity as a result of either low immune system or immunosuppressant drug or diabetes asthma or copd or health a cancer or other health diseases so their body anyway is uh, dealing with other other diseases or other medicine and other so we don't even know how they react to each other and in those cases why the bodies can't fight the virus as well as in normal healthy population of children it seems to so and uh, what we don't haven't taken into consideration response yet is how different genetic racial differences uh, react to it uh, because that would be a, once uh, we come out on the other side of the coronavirus infection which we will uh, hopefully come out unscathed as much because we have seen the first SARS um, uh, coronavirus one infection outbreak was in 2003 then we see the other virus which we haven't talked much about was MERS which is was Middle East respiratory syndrome which took over Middle East and then some parts of South Korea Taiwan in 2013 we have seen influenza s1 h1n1 and we have seen ebola and uh, so there are some uh, like ebola took over the african subcontinent and continent hugely and all the forces there were huge number of death but it remained confined similarly to SARS and mers it happened in the region this one um in 2019 and 2020 has spread much wider there are various other reasons now because um, it originated in china and uh, that uh, china has business dealings pretty much with uh, more or less every part of the world now as we know we depend on the supply chain manufacturing and uh, the travel to the eastern region I was has uh, I think as every part of the world shows that it probably is leading from originating from people uh, where the people who came from infected regions to uh, the clear regions hence um, some cases like New Zealand which have closed its border very early and taken down those uh, steps even the recent case in india where it was found that a group of uh, visitors from other parts of the country were found in big numbers and until and unless uh, they were there and authorities didn't know about their existence and they were all uh, found positive later on and they went all across uh, different uh, uh, cities and different 
states of India. And I think out of total 5,000 cases, almost 2,000 of them have resulted as a result of that. So it is uh, showing that um, the, the, the various, there are various regions. So in terms of strategy wise, obviously, as it looks, is the best strategy for somebody to protect is in terms of uh, uh, identifying contact tracing and then quarantining and taking care of that. Uh, in UK's case, I suppose we have already gone past that stage. Uh, and uh, lockdown is effective in the sense that it shields the vulnerable. It, it stops vulnerable people coming in contact with the uh, people who might have it and can lead to that um, serious cases and in some cases, unfortunately, death where we have no idea uh, that whether they were infected or not infected. And that can only happen if they came in contact with somebody who was actually carrying the virus themselves. They, were, they might not have had symptoms, but they were carriers of it. Uh, so in that case, um, that would be the way forward, uh, I suppose. And some countries have uh, implemented that, which is more effective, only time will tell. Because at the moment, there are various strategies. Each country is dealing with it in a different uh, step, um, um, step phase. Because in Wuhan, it happened in December when the first cases started to appear. They didn't close down the countries border they didn't close down wuhan itself till 23rd of january and just yesterday when they have reported zero number of cases again i think the wuhan is now open for business and they have started to have their uh, manufacturing supply and they are picking up their economy is started to pick up and they are building and supplying even ventilators have been coming to other places um in other cases uh, where we see that uh, even though it's uh, we are, there is another other strategy which a lot of people are talking about is uh, testing everybody, which Germany model is. Germany is basically excessive in the sense they have gone after this in a hard manner and they are just testing uh, as much as they can and ramping the production of testing it's, uh, more and more. Uh, but there are certain other factors which we need to consider in there is that Germany is the which for if we were to come on to the business uh, impact and model side of the things and the, the related point is that the Germany is the largest manufacturer of ventilators here. And even in this scenario when uh, entire uh, most parts of the world, even including we are talking about the shortage of ventilators needing more and more, Germany is the only country who has ventilators and surplus. And uh, that is able to supply ventilators to China, UK themselves, we are uh, looking for getting the orders from there. And they also are able to supply, uh, have their own uh, biologics and small molecule biotech uh, factory. So that will have certain us to think in later on whether the model of having manufacturing as elsewhere, like in China for everything with entire world, depending on that and having long supply chains or whether we need to bring manufacturing and uh, closer to home in certain cases and uh, the health implications along with obviously that will have also have implications and positive things on the climate change but also the biotech come uh, like germany has a very strong biotech life sciences sector they are self-reliant on that and for us to think uh, how much uh, how much um how much emphasis and priority we give 
to the biotech pharma companies who can produce uh, their own our own uh, small molecules and antiviral drugs when as and when a cocktail of drug is found effective for it and so that would be on the and the the other obviously we see italy model uh, we have seen that italy did uh, put the lockdown and uh, but by the time i think it was too late uh, more or less the infection had spread in the community initially uk's uh, strategy initially was that we were relying on the data to some extent i wouldn't say that that was uh, wrong in the sense we as scientists we always have to base our assumptions on uh, facts and data that come out the only question uh, addendum to that would be that we need to take in uh, picture the whole picture and all the facts to say uh, not simply following uh, the model from somewhere else where our conditions might not be the same so whether people who were coming from other places had already entered uh, the country which were carriers which were not symptomatic but they were carrying the viruses and they were how many uh, and that goes uh, very well aligns with that the london has become the epicenter because that is naturally the travel center from other places where people have been carrying it as well all at the same time uh, the uh, also uh, the fact of uh, that if there are other country which we need to now wait and see obviously we don't want to see the negative impact of it but countries uh, other larger asian countries which have the huge huge population uh, for example if i would say 1.3 billion people in india and uh, they if it was true uh, that anybody who can come in contact with it and die if they were um, sort of in close confinement and that is the bodies don't react differently to it we would have if we didn't know about it we would have had seen already larger number of deaths but fortunately we haven't seen that despite being densely populated in there and they are uh, there are very very some very good examples of how it has happened and how they have man contained that infection there is a new model which the ministry there has come up with uh, it's called there it's a bhilwara it's a particular district where 27 people were found one of the first one was doctors and how they from there they identified who is likely to have come in contact with them contact trace them trace them every day with the pub, local community health system so that's another question of how hospitals manage but uh, not everybody there is a shortage of test kits uh, we can ramp up and we can utilize the academic uh, or the life sciences companies um, human support to either make the kits or test it uh, but that's an expensive strategy which not everybody or every country in the world might be able to do it so everyone has to look at their resources and see what they are doing so they are basically uh, uh, identifying anybody who has influenza-like symptoms, which is the symptoms we discussed roughly, that whether it's the temperature or the cough or the respiratory distress, and then quarantining them and monitoring them. And monitoring another raises question, how we monitor? We monitor uh, by watching them human, or we monitor them remotely uh, with the sensors, and that another brings in the importance of technology, how we can use that, or leisure management with that, and then following them over a period when they could have been infected, and then contract tracing who came in contact with them, lockdowning that region, 
and uh, then containing it and following it up for two week period when the virus because their advice even in the UK is that if you have become infected and showing symptoms seven days later natural cycle of the virus growth is your body clears it but anybody who comes in contact for them they need to be 14 days in isolation hence that uh, period because you don't know when your body will take it up and then growing inside without being detected which is called the incubation period and then there's the release period when the virus is made and then it starts to shed so that's the uh, period but for any vulnerable period who are there obviously for any people who are there for them it's the 12 week uh, uh, sort of three month uh, isolation is being recommended simply to not burden the system it's not that uh, that will protect them from being infected but it's that they don't come in contact with many people who might have been infected as a result uh, they all don't suddenly become ill at the same time and not require immediate uh, severe medical attention leading to being hospitalized and admitted into ICU as at the moment our prime minister sadly is and uh, that can take into account that uh, him coming in I'm sure he was following con all the, uh, the but because he was coming and leading the charge uh, as a um, sort of uh, head of government he was he might have come in contact even from a sort of reasonable distance with somebody who was asymptomatic and as a result both him and health secretary were self-isolating health secretary matt hancock we've seen is sort of he's come back and he's uh, doing his business but boris johnson's uh, prime minister's body unfortunately is reacting differently to matt hancock's reaction and that is a classic example in how different people can react differently to that so we have to take case by case and strategies also will have to see but if i were to summarize then i mean no country or no world cannot remain in lockdown forever so coming to that point of we'll have to have an exit strategy where how we think yes uh, i mean this is this, this is kind of the last major thing i want to talk to you about yeah. was you know it's obviously very complicated looking at strategies worldwide and um it makes complete sense what you're saying about um being aggressive where you need to be and being smart where you can use what you've got and uh using technology and anything that you that you can and um, and like you just said you can't stay in lockdown forever regardless of where you are and even in italy where it's, it looks like they jumped the uh, sorry they um they sort of closed the stable door after the horse was had bolted you know um you know you have to make a call about when to stop lockdown and what do you think the impact of lockdown on on, on business is in the longer term and even um, you know, I'm not just thinking about Jeff Bezos having his, you know, hundredth mansion. I'm thinking about people who have their own small businesses that you, you know, kind of people that you work with a lot. And thinking about that in the context of, of healthcare, um, sometimes people don't like thinking about economic decisions when it comes to healthcare. Um, but there is obviously a, a, a finite set of resources um, when treating people and you know is it is it possible we have to make a hard decision about restarting the economy at the expense of some coronavirus deaths at some point or is that not the right way of looking at it so Ali there are some very interesting points that you make there and some very challenging hard uh, questions also and uh, 
it will not make you or me any popular if we were to go down to say one at the expense of other and the question is this is not about the uh, means it's not the time for niceties as you say because if we need to take a, a hard decision to protect people's health then that takes precedence whether it uh, is a popular decision or not it needs to be done because that's the need of the hour in this case as we have said you said yourself obviously in some cases uh, how horses bolted and we are trying to run and close the door uh, but in some cases you think uh, whether uh, to make a decision of locking down or not and as we have seen certain decisions in us uh, for some time some states had two weeks before i know washington state had closed their uh, schools and offices even before uk and uh, whereas in New York, uh, which is like London, epicenter of travel and business, and uh, the the message from the top-down leadership initially was that okay, we don't do, uh, we don't need to take any major steps. But then it wasn't that the inherent community of New York was in fact. It's just people who uh, came in contact with people traveling from the places where the virus was floating in the community, and they were I, even before they were asymptomatic carriers. And if they landed in, or in some cases, symptomatic people, if they landed on the ports, and which is why. We are seeing that those are the epicenter and a, to some extent i mean all decisions from the policy i would say we need to base we need to base them on evidence and what uh, the information tells us uh, we are we have enough uh, technology and data uh, capability on our hands that now we don't need to make decisions based on based on gut feeling however that good that might be <laughs> so coming to your point of jeff bejos i suppose he is still the person who has benefited most i was reading about the forbes uh, 100 or billionaires list and he's still talking the number one third year in a row because uh, in lockdown actually Amazon is the only supplier for anything and everything in every part of the world so even in the economic downturn it has done him well because he has invented a product which is actually serving the needs of the people when they are in lockdown uh, his uh, delivery model was anywhere everywhere from anywhere and uh, that uh, seems to be working so unfortunately in that case um, he is still gaining and uh, another thing which we, you and I are using on uh, zoom technology so that has obviously has uh, in lockdown brought people together this is one example Eric Ewan is another person who has jumped into sort of uh, 46 second place now in the richest um, people in the world simply because he has invented a product which has less barriers to adaption and he has different models of free version business a lot of people have come closer as a result of this technology so while we see there are uh, businesses uh, that have been impa impacted uh, heavily and human beings which have had i mean there are obviously reports of uh, how many million business shutting down how many millions of people losing jobs which is a reality because uh, 
there is uh, one the certain industries which are dependent on movement of people inside those industries whether it's the hotel industry whether it's the travel industry or uh, food and um, uh, travel they are heavily impacted by because that has banned at first there are various things first government guidelines and advice a strategy of lockdown but also fear i mean people and the stock market in certain cases uh, is uh, one which perpetuates fear anyway and people be lead to further reactions of that uh, so while uh, that has happened the all the countries governments are coming together and providing uh, their i will use the word which we haven't used in this conversation so far is the unprecedented measures unprecedented time i suppose we have reached uh, 51 minute of our conversation and we have not used that word which has been become the most popular currently time and today the reason for that is that uh, it is it, these are complex times all governments are taking hard decisions and everybody is trying to do uh, good by the people and uh, they have come up most governments have come up with these un, unusual and uh, sort of never seen before packages of helping with people trying to keep the economy growing and recovering Uh, but uh, despite that obviously um, there is a downtown that means the schools initially uk government decided to keep the schools open for some ex- to large extent now that has been uh, also implemented to close because people didn't uh, know how else to contain it uh, if there was an initial risk of spreading we have seen that now to certain extent the data coming out even from the places where things were opening was that that the children were actually least affected except in the cases where children themselves have underlying conditions like if they have uh, cystic fibrosis asthma or uh, other um, treatment which have reduced their immune system then they need to be anyway in the uh, isolation and uh, period for that 12 weeks which is recommended during the higher load period but other so that reopening school is another policy that the government will need to reassess it because how long will that remain open but that also led to certain schools remaining open teachers going to it other key workers acquiring so it and then more and more now other reports are coming out of domestic abuse on children the children who were on school meals how what is the what's the implications of them having even though the government is supplying uh, some vouchers and uh, providing money but whether they are reaching the intended and also violence inside the homes when everybody is just there is no social uh, measure that can reach the inside the house if you shut down the technology so i think there are other uh, policy implications the other if impact of the decision making which we'll have to see and how long can we uh, keep the children inside and uh, rely on homeschooling model and expect most parents who are working in the households where both parents are working they are having to still continue the full time so while there are furloughed measures and now the government has amended the scheme that even people who are caring can be furloughed uh, because of their duties Uh, but then uh, i think it is a balanced view in terms of uh, government having to assess the data to see which are the epicenters of infection 
where have we because we have now gone past that it has spread in the community uh, there is a no um, region so now the question would be that whether we watch out uh, for the influenza like illnesses ili anybody who's got temperature anybody who's uh, uh, feeling unwell or something and who have they come into contact or where are the cases appearing having that data on a day-to-day -day basis as the situation evolving contact tracing testing those and then isolating that regions uh, while the rest of the places which are free of infection or um, there is talk of the rapid antibody test, uh, the new data uh, which shows that the plasma of the infected people can actually be utilized as a neutralizing uh, uh, sort of uh, sub uh, provision for the infected, which gives hope for a vaccine uh, and uh, which also gives a hope for a treatment uh, in terms of it and possibly some of the there is the big uh, discussion goes on about the hydroxychloroquine use or bleach being used as a disinfectant so those um, repurposing of the existing you know, antiviral drugs if some of them start to work then we know that we can treat the milder infections that way and keep the really vulnerable people away from exposure and that uh, contact tracing, identifying, testing, and then isolating, uh, lockdowning those regions or those people or those businesses will be the strategy that we will have to adopt uh, as an exit strategy to start bringing the economy on track. Coming on to the positive side of it, although everything is in lockdown and it has impacted and slowed down, but there are positives to look at it in terms of it that it has uh, brought uh, people to use technology in ways that people were never looking at it. Um, and most people have realized that they can carry on the life uh, and they can carry on working and using and working, collaborating with their colleagues, not only in the same community or region or country or organization, but across the world as well, uh, despite not moving out of the house. So I think the workplaces are going to change as a result to some extent. Uh, the organizations and the businesses will start to look at uh, flexible working in a very different scenario. It is also an uh, opportunity, even if there is a silver lining ever, for people to start thinking and how can, uh, what is the use of various technologies that they can adapt to make it more efficient. And uh, even in terms of detection, the collaboration of scientific community, clinical community, governments uh, working together, to ask, I mean, we are seeing in the news uh, the mighty Trump from America asking for chloroquine from uh, a developing country, India, for hydroxychloroquine dosage. Similar thing is demand another developing country, Brazil, asking for it. So it's it's coming. It's it's a nature cycle which is providing that that not. Uh, if you have economic might that doesn't give you a health might or that doesn't make your strategy the best, you still have to learn from other people. You still might be depending on other people. And so I think in terms of having that exit strategy well planned and executed will be a, a slow process, but we would have to start looking at it once we pass that peak or flatten that curve as we keep talking about from the beginning when the infection as a result of social distancing measure is uh, 
come a bit under control and we start to find out a bit more where the epicenter of that. So because after that, if it isn't uh, spreading, then, then if we block the new infection coming into contact and coming into society, then as and when somebody gets exposed or somebody starts to show, we contact trace them, isolate them, and then keep the other cogs of the business and the economy slowly start moving will pick up and the thing is because it has been such a complex process and people have been um, yeah they are naturally worried about it but also looking at it to come out and do things so a lot of people will use this time to reflect over and businesses that are stronger resilient and preparing for innovative ways and innovative use of uh, resource their resources people are the biggest resources technology utilizing that and then coming up they we will see uh, bounce back of that uh, coming uh, quickly and the government have obviously provided support in this period for people to uh, be uh, people to survive the the worst part of it so uh, that will uh, give more confidence in terms of coming back and trying to do the best for it that makes sense. I mean, it's obviously a hugely complicated situation and, you know, you want to do the best for everyone. It's, it's, uh, it's not easy. Um, but I really appreciate your thoughts on it and particularly the, the points of um, kind of hope about in a few weeks, hopefully we'll know much more and the picture will hopefully be better and we can start to think about uh, making improvements in the way we live our lives uh, mm -hmm. in in light of what we've learned going through it. Um, yeah, I think yeah. you're right. The way we work is going to change forever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to, looking at the positive side, which we haven't discussed, I suppose I will just talk about it in terms of the treatment or the vaccination, which we haven't uh, touched. I think vaccine is a process which takes long time. So even if there is hope that the, the human body can have protecting antibodies as they have been detected in the plasma, which is found in the blood when you separate the white blood cells uh, and red blood cells from the from in the human body serum but uh, that indicates that there is a reaction that the body does mount to the virus which means that the virus vaccine will work but the way that works is that uh, even if with the new data um, usage and uh, modeling analysis we identified the right region against which and there are uh, various uh, groups and already working the research, uh, UKRI, Innovate UK and um, NIHR in the United Kingdom, Welcome Trust and other NIH and other worldwide bodies are Gates Foundation and uh, they are putting a lot of money into initiatives to generate and work in collaboration. And that would be a collaboration, a triple helix, both a government organization working in partnership with the private sector and public sector research academic institutions. But the process itself is that after it, uh, the identified and it does uh, work in the laboratories or research institution, animal testing, it has to go through a phased uh, human testing um, period of three or four stages, phase one, two, three, four, where different things are tested, whether how is the body reacting to it, how is there a side effect, is there toxicity, what happens in healthy people, what happens in people who are given nothing, and is there a, versus the who are given the dose, and how uh, long does the impact last, and what kind of, so that though that's a longer period of testing and for and even if we were to bypass and expedite everything 
I think it is nothing less than eight months to 12 to 18 months that any vaccine will be here before the next year, we can say, despite fast tracking everything because of the requirements of, because there is regulatory and um, requirements, say Food and Drug Administration, MHRA, or the, the organizations that are responsible, they need to make sure. So they could still, something might be available in the hospitals to use on people who are on the last leg and that's their last resort and they might permit for it. But for a general population, to be because even when it is accepted as a right uh, vaccine to be produced in large enough quantities to be provided worldwide because this is a world issue it's not a one particular region or country issue so that th those are the issues that were wide uh, widely available vaccine but before that i think for a general population uh, small molecules or biologics as they're called or, or antiviral the drugs that are already being used against other uh, treatments they have been tried or being tried in across various parts of the world in different combinations different dosage if some of them start work to work then as it has been shown that they are already in production there is already a company that is making it they're being supplied so they can ramp it up because they don't have to go through that testing or regulatory permission or uh, process so uh, the hope is that one of those show promising results on uh, symptomatic infected people and especially the ones that are at high risk symptoms and high risk uh, people. Once it works in them and make them better, then uh, even as we say, we have a combat uh, strategy and we can work against them. And at the moment, there's no data and scientific evidence as such for hydroxychloroquine for which people are using, but it is, I think some people have used it and some have gotten slightly better symptoms. So I think that's how it is being. And it is a normal malaria drug, which is being used in parts of the world as an anti-malarial drug. Hence, there is the supply of it is more in India or African countries, because that's where uh, the sort of um, um, mosquito bitten uh, malaria is found. So uh, that that's the hope for a treatment for now in terms of that if we find a repurposed drug or a small molecule because that is much easier to synthesize at that scale once it can be designed. But then even those studies have to be tested in the lab, how human body reacts, who can be tested, uh, who can show side effects, what dose is the right dose, and that's a longer. So the worldwide uh, research and private industry uh, and the uh, sort of funding of bodies. Um, if efforts have joined in and they are working for it, uh, but then I think in overall, I would say that these things will all work only if we have the social distancing and shielding and policy measures along with something called common sense or social responsibility. And it all boils down to we can expect so much from the government, we can expect so much from the agencies, but as each, uh, eventually as uh, humans and citizens of the world, I think we need to take our own responsibility into something. If we have been told to do something, how uh, diligently are we following it? And if we understand this, uh, we can overcome any challenges. And same is true for health, as our health workers and clinicians in the NHS and nurses and staff have shown that they are putting their lives in risk and working for people. Similarly, from the society side, humans have to do, and in business leaders, business leaders can motivate and show resilience. It's up to us to say, uh, come up and a lot of people, lot of businesses will pivot at this time and come up with new models. And that can be a positive sign for how we take forward. Indeed. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today and 
hopefully we can talk again in a month or so and things look a lot better. Um, so uh, is, there, is there anywhere that people can find you online? I know you're on Twitter and I can link it in the show notes. I am both on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, Dr. Poonam Malik, and I can be found uh, there. And Twitter, my handle is Poons21. And uh, I sort of, as, as I'm on the board of Scottish Enterprise, which is the economic development agency working with that and Skills Development Scotland, where both uh, are the agencies from the Scottish government as I'm trying to work for the skill uh, improvement as well as uh, business economic regeneration for all the impact that we are seeing. Uh, so, Brilliant. Okay, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Ali. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks, and see you next time.